Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Better Than Life, where comedians come to talk Red Dwarf episode by episode. I'm John, old school fan on my first rewatch in decades. And I'm Fergus, your co-host and constant fan. We're joined by our producer Alex, and this time we're doing series two, episode two, Better Than Life. Hey, that's the name of this podcast, with John Robertson. Let's do some total immersion podcasting. It's a show about a man who's lost three million years in space. His company and evolved cat and a hologram he hates Plus a fuzzy robot and a ship that's gone senile We love the jokes and sci-fi stuff, that's why It's better than John Robertson, you identify as a comedian, streamer, author, improviser, actor, video game writer, insult comic and human hurricane. You're the creator and sinister MC of The Dark Room, the world's finest and only live action video game. You're Australian and therefore no stranger to killer ants, all of which means you're the perfect guest to talk about the Red Dwarf episode, Better Than Life. But we'll get to that quite a bit later. Let's start at the start. John, when exactly did you awake to find yourself? A Red Dwarf fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 the, the one thing in that intro that I, I disagree with is I don't identify as Australian as they've never accepted me as one of their own, <laughs> uh, which is why I find myself on the mouldy plague island of the UK. Um, you know, and, and we, we thank you for your uh, your bemused politeness, which has really paid a lot of rent. Yeah, Red Dwarf was um, like, because I'm from the suburbs of Perth, Western Australia from back in the 90s. And so it was a thing that you found accidentally because like i knew one english family right and they had it on tv one time it was the episode quig and it was after it had started so they they knew what it was but for somehow the name didn't come up or like i thought they were calling me a red dwarf or something and it just <laughs> went on for a while and, and it was real funny then we didn't see or hear anything of this thing again for for years i was on holidays with my mum and i went to the local library and I went to the science fiction section, which was three books, <laughs> which was a Star Trek novel I'd already read, and then a copy of Red Dwarf Last Human. Oh, yes. And I 
I just liked all of the bones on the front. I liked mm. all the skeletons because I was a pretty tiresome twelve-year-old. <laughs> and but one of the skulls is wearing sunglasses. Looks cool on the book cover. I think the reflective it? sunglasses. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I probably pointed that out to her six or seven times while she was trying to get over her, the death of her husband. Anyway, um, the the and and as I'm reading it, I was like, oh wait a minute, hang on, oh some the the cat. Yeah! Oh, from the thing right. that I saw. Oh wow! But I couldn't. I couldn't remember what Lister looked like or what Rimmer looked like. So I ha- I invented these things. So I got Red Dwarf really as like actual sci-fi that you're reading, that you're imagining. The the main differences were that in my imagination, the light bee moved a lot more. Right. You know, <laughs> Thing, things maybe looked a little more convincing because my imagination had a higher budget than the program did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was great. And then a few years after that, they started playing, it was season six. And I've, I've just realized I've gotten the timeline of this all wrong. I said I was a tiresome 12-year-old. I was a tiresome 10-year-old. <laughs> and then when I was 11, I was a tiresome little, uh, you know, various gimboid, various words like that suddenly fell into my vocabulary because <laughs> season six was on the ABC and I used to go into school replete, you know, with my, my new British vocabulary of smeghead and <laughs> things like that and God, they just kicked the shit out of me. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven is a great age to get into it. Can oh. you can you recall looking back what, how you pictured Lister and Rimmer when you were reading Last Human? The the H was a lot larger. It took up a lot more a lot more room. It was black. Rimmer, so he was like a skeleton. He was like razor thin. And yeah, Lister, I don't really remember. I remember dreadlocks, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. because That's I because I remember when I did watch Craig Charles, I had to go. Oh, those are those are dreadlocks. That's what that is. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, so you saw the word uh, dreadlocks and kind of just imagined something really yeah. sci-fi-ish. It's a very sci-fi word, actually, isn't it? Oh, it's a hugely sci-fi word, but I was also like a wrestling fan. So like a yes. dreadlock was something you could conceivably be killed in. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. or like it'd be the name of like a ship. Oh, no, the dreadlock, sir! You know? <laughs> yes. It was just a thing that we found. And then when you watch it, it becomes really comfortable. It's interesting like how quickly the idea of a curry or a kebab being a drunk food, mm. this isn't something we had. But then suddenly me and my little 11-year-old dickhead friends are sitting around joking, oh, having a pint and a curry. Ooh, you know, we don't know what those <laughs> things mean. You know, we don't call them pints for a start. That's awesome. So so contemporaneously then, you you and you did have a group of mm. Red Dwarf obsessive mates watching Series 6. It's a good season to come in on. Oh, it's, it's fabulous. Red Dwarf got me in with boys at that school who, otherwise didn't like me because the the first joke I remember landing that somebody liked uh, was uh, are you sure you want to go to Blue Alert that we're going to have to change the bulb and a guy who otherwise (laughs) spent the rest of his life drooling and just sort of punching me repeatedly took time out from his busy schedule to go oh that's stupid John which was about as close as he ever got to laughing. And nice. then, but then he noticeably didn't hit me for a few days, you know, and he's like, oh, blue alert. <laughs> That's cool. Affirmation. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, Red Dwarf was enjoyed by... The, the, the kids who were going to like it were the ones that I found, like the sort of usual yeah. suspects, you know, the ones who already were walking around with their copies of The Wheel of Time, you know, they tended yeah. to have seen all of it, or um, it'd be like the kid from Yorkshire, you know, who none of us could understand until he started saying words from the series, and then you're like, oh, Smeg! <laughs> Ah, oh, we get you. And of course, my uh, my childhood best friend, who I think the first conversation that we had, which must have been like bully catnip to everyone in that school, <laughs> he's like, "Do you like Mad Magazine?" I'm like, "Yeah." Do you like the Beano? Yeah. And I think I think upon the use of the word Beano is when we were set upon with the various <laughs> knives. 
Yeah, Red Dwarf was uh, was super duper fun. Yeah, and it, you know, there was just a lot of stuff that I didn't recognize. I didn't know, for instance, like Lister's racial identity. Right. Like for years, I just went, hey, there's Lister. There's Lister. And then it was only the other day, somebody said to me, wow, you know, John, this is a super progressive show for the time. Would you look, that's two black leads. And you're like, oh, of course it is. Yeah. Yes. This is not a thing we knew. Again, you have to forgive my ignorance. I come from a country where the concept of Jamaica started existing when Cool Runnings came out and stayed that way for 20 years. So. <laughs> Were you surprised when you came to Britain and found it wasn't full of people using the words smeghead and gimboid? <laughs> <laughs> oh, all, all British TV has lied to us repeatedly, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite what I expected. I've since met horny losers, you know, out for curry and a lager. And they're not as fun up close. <laughs> no, they're really not. They're really good to look at when you're on stage for 20 minutes. And when they're clapping and they're liking what you're saying. But what a pain in the ass to be in the kebab shop with later. You can see why they put them on that ship and sent them off mining, for God's sake. <laughs> So you were, a, you were a sci-fi fan, obviously, when you stumbled across Red Dwarf. Mm. Were you already a comedy fan as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My whole family loves comedy, even though they wouldn't use the word comedy. Like, none of them, none of them think they know anything, which is, I think, a really important ingredient mm. for this. They just like stuff, and they'll go, oh, that's good. Like, my mum's cousin and her husband, they would bring in all of the weird... So they yeah. were sitting out there going, we must watch this Aeon Flux. Have you seen the Max? Have you seen Beavis and Butthead? Right, how old are you? 12? We're going to see there's something about Mary. Good, you know, stuff like That's that. Great. Mum was the one who'd be like, ah, yes, these only fools and horses. Good, you know. Uh, <laughs> you see, the joke is that Trigger's broom isn't the same broom. <laughs> and it's a good mix of really, really fun. And then somehow in the middle, there was me who liked sci-fi. I'd been given Hitchhiker's Guide, which is, you oh. know, a great beginning. And then you fall into yeah. Terry Pratchett and then you see Red Dwarf and you go, oh, this this all works. But no one had watched Red Dwarf with me because it was on a starship and it wasn't Star Trek. Right, okay. That was where they drew the line. Sci-fi gatekeepers. That's it. Well, my mum sort of looked up. She's like, I don't see Picard. That's it. You know, she <laughs> was just there for Patrick Stewart. Fair enough. Yeah. You've got Series 6 going on. That's mm. your first one that you watch live. Were you then hoovering up videos, kind of catching up on everything up to that point? Yeah, when we could, ab absolutely. Especially since shortly after Season 6, obviously Season 7 just began, but this was the first experience of new episodes, right? Because right. everything was just being repeated. Because we ostensibly lost Rimmer in the first few episodes of that, yeah. right? Me and my, my mate Tom are sitting there. The fact he's in every other episode didn't mm -hmm. mean anything to us. We were like, no, 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 the character is gone. This really impacts us. So we went back. And the sense of bliss that I felt when I hit season three, once backwards happens, I'm yeah. really like, oh, we're having a, a wild time now. The first two seasons I also really liked. They're dirtier. Yeah. They got a, a real sense of filth. And they looked like all the other um, British things I was renting from the video store at the yeah. time. Like, they look like Whoops Apocalypse. They look a bit like the young ones. You know, you can see that, oh, okay, I think a man's moving that scutter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I could probably blow over that set, actually. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, they're working really hard to make the most of the, the limited yeah. resources they've got. But that's what was so perfect about it, because, like, the the British would make stuff with limited resources that the Australians wouldn't have touched, yeah. even if they'd had money. Have you, have, you, have you seen the whole run, John, or did you kind of stop with the, the classics? No. I stopped at season eight. 
I couldn't do it anymore. And it's not that I not that I disliked it. There just came a moment where I went, "Oh cool, we're we're back. It's it's more budget. Everyone looks a bit older. Mm. It's season 1 again, kind of. Everyone's alive. Ah, oh, they're playing their hits. Uh, I got other stuff to do now. Yeah. The same thing happens to me a lot. I I'm I'm so facile with TV programs that when I see, okay, here come the new things, right? I'll go, "Oh, different set." And it's off. Yeah. I can't keep watching. Yeah. It happened with Abfab season four. I just went, what, did they move house? No, that, that's <laughs> yeah. it. My mother had to assure me there were good episodes in that series. I couldn't be there, you know. I had done the thing that I would normally do. This might be a fairly universal thing. If you find something on your own or with a limited group of people, you go, oh, well, that's my thing. Mm. I like that. And then you take comfort in the fact that if it's over, well... There's a chance that you might know all there is possibly to know about something. Yep. And then when the new thing comes out, toxic fandoms all over will just go, no, ah, yeah, and yeah. reject it immediately. Whereas I'll just sit there and sort of go, was his hair always like that? I've actually discovered masturbation by this point. I might go do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the great leveller, isn't it? John, we haven't asked you this. Characters, did you have a favourite? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We loved Rimmer. Rimmer was the funniest character. Right. We all we all liked Lister. We thought Lister was, you know, good fun. And, you know, we empathised with Lister. Well, we sympathised with Lister. We didn't mm. really know what he was doing, you know, despite <laughs> the fact by the time, by the time I'm about 15, I looked quite a lot like Lister. You know, like there's a lot of crap hair and a lot of food stains going down the clothes. Um, yeah. And Cat was stylish and fun. You know, we all, we all enjoyed Cat super much but there was the thing where like I'm just sitting there like oh no Rimmer's the funny character Rimmer's very you know in every way he gets he gets the sharp lines the jokes on him he does the physical comedy that that guy does everything we loved Chris Barry <laughs> this was it's so embarrassing. I ran into him. He was coming off stage at a sci-fi convention uh-huh. and he'd just been interviewed by a friend of mine. So I was, I'd actually come back to see the friend. Right. And yeah. Chris Barry walked past and in the time, the two seconds or so that we were in the same area, he completely got the measure of me, which was he gave me a, a nod, which was the nod that you might give a fan. I must have been gawking <laughs> at the man. And because I remember in the time going, oh, that'll be rumour. And then thinking much more attractive than I thought. <laughs> and then, Good to know. And then he, then he gave me this nod. I was like, ah. I might have been staring mouth open. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, I've only been in this business 20 years. All right, fine. No worries. Cool. Go, go shake hands with the interviewer. Yeah, that, that was real good, mate. Yeah, can you actually just get me away from this guy? <laughs> Did he sort of half go to write your autograph? Uh, a little bit. It was very much a, uh, a nod of, uh, oh, someone snuck back here. Kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah. for him yeah. even. Well, that, that was the thing. I, I was sort of like... I felt like the next words out of my mouth needed to be, oh, I need to be here, right? Or I'm I'm legit, I'm legit. Yeah, and then I realised, if if you'll reach that point of saying that, say nothing. Yeah, probably wise. He's just on his way to his nice vintage car. Just let the man go. Also, he's used to that look. He's used to seeing a man in his 30s or 40s looking at him going, and probably even having that same... Ah, Chris Barry's more attractive than Rimmer. In the same way that Rowan Atkinson is more attractive than Blackadder or, or, or Rick Mail was more attractive than Rick. A lot of how I found, like, British comedy, like, we're talking about really crap, like, rented VHS tapes. And, mm, sure. You know, of course, CRT his... TVs. Yeah, I didn't know for years that Rick Mail 
from Young Ones and flash up with the same dude. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Right. I'd be seeing the credits and going, oh, that reminds me of somebody. Who Who is that? And then, what? You know. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing I, I did recognise, and this is, this is something that caused me to fall really deeply in love with living in the UK. And it went like this. Uh, I was at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2010 doing two shows on the Cowgate. Now, the Cowgate is a great place to start at mm. the Fringe. Not a, not a place to stay, if possible. <laughs> it is a, oh, it's Saturday night and here comes the heroine. Um, right, it's not, not terrific. I'd finished my show and I was walking along with my mate Josh and we walked headfirst into Norman Lovett. And Norman Lovett had been the first... When we'd come to Fringe 2009 and my wife and I had walked up to the Gilded Balloon for the first time... He was the first person we'd run into. We're like, awesome. oh my God, it's Holly. <laughs> but because this was the second time we'd run into him and I was pissed, I felt, oh yeah, I could probably say something. And well, I didn't say it. I said, Josh, do you know who this is? This man is a hero. And Norman Lover went, oh no, a hero saves things. And I went, you saved a few episodes of Red Dwarf. <laughs> and he smiled and I smiled. Oh. We had a good time and off, off I went. And two days later, the act that was on before me at Bar 50 in the Cowgate ran up to me and went, I've just seen Norman Lovett's show. He's using that joke. Hey! <laughs> so that was nice. That's cool. I was so happy. I was, I know, but cool. I was just like, ha, 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 ha. It was notable <laughs> for him too. Good. You've kind of influenced the Red Dwarf canon in a kind of way of thinking about it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's ignore the part where Robert Llewellyn and I had a Twitter argument once. Nevertheless. Oh, no. Oh, 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 we got over it. I don't think he'll remember. It was funny because we were doing that while I was standing at another convention and I was talking to Hattie Hayridge. <laughs> she she had come to my show and had apparently left at great speed and then somebody else had sort of started trying to stir some <laughs> like I was offended and she came up and went, oh, I, I heard you were bothered. I walked out of your show. I was like, no, I was delighted you were there at all. Yeah. And I, she was great because she turned to the guy who'd done it, done it and just went, stir her! And then just kept oh, going good. with what she was doing. Oh, and good. I, and I was so oh, happy Hattie. because I was, yeah. yeah, I was standing around and I was like, ah, oh, good, you know, I'm like, excellent. I've now, I've now spoken to both of the Hollies. And, um, mm. well, you see, for, for this one, now that I'm standing here with Hattie Hayridge, it doesn't need to be said that there's a group of permanently 14-year-old boys from Perth, Western Australia, who are now themselves with anger <laughs> that I'm here. <laughs> but it's going very well. And also a lot of the women, a lot of the women really liked... Um, yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of excitement when Holly changes her hair in that one episode. Strike a light, I'm a genius again. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, oh. it's all slicked back and she yes, looks, yes, she does that, look that, very different in that, that moment. Was, she does yeah, look there like was a lot, a lot of awakenings discussed uh, by that particular. <laughs> oh, I see. In my hometown, there wasn't wasn't really much to do other than sit around and go. I like this show. Yeah, it's good. God, I want to. <laughs> her. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> mm. Yes. And then, of course, that fine episode where, uh, you know, where Rimmer gets tied up and everybody went, oh, hello, there's quite a lot of muscle under that shirt, apparently. Mr. Barry, goodness I. That was a bit of an awakening for a lot of people. Like, he's, Mm. yeah, it's the light bee. It's the light bee. Do you know what's really nice is everybody that's come on that's met anyone from the cast has had nothing but nice things to say about them, which is so good to hear. Yeah, everyone's been lovely. And even, even when... Robert Llewellyn and I had a little argument on Twitter. That was a miscommunication, and we mm. got over that pretty fast. So that was that was fine. But it, it was just funny to be standing around going, Hello, Holly, what a pleasure to meet you. Oh, Crichton <laughs> seems moderately annoyed. Oh, <laughs> it's a nice day. Oh, one of the Doctor Whos is waving. Oh, it's at someone behind me. Okay, that's fine. But nevertheless, hello. Still, though. Yeah, great. <laughs> In time. your direction. Yeah, good. It's working. Yeah. That's, that kind of implies you, you are where you need to be at that moment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> 
But as much as we all love those guys and love their performances, there is a really, really, really difficult, some might say unfair, some might say impossible, some have said impossible question, John, that we must ask you. Hmm. If you had unlimited budget, no constraints on anything whatsoever, and you were tasked with recasting for a reboot of Red Dwarf. <laughs> they don't need oh. to be contemporaries of each other. They don't need to be oh. from anywhere geographically. There can be whatever gender, whatever you want. Who would you pick? Oh, wow. Well, for, for whatever reason, I actually, no, I know exactly why. Because Chris Barry is so good with those impressions. Mm. I would want Rimmer played by uh, an actor who prided themselves on being really showily transformative. Yeah. And so as a result, because even though he's not extremely funny, he'd be a lot of fun to watch, uh, would be Laurence Olivier. Oh, wow. Olivier as, and, and especially since like if you had... You know, like an episode where it's like, and now he's being all of the characters because Olivier would have insisted on dressing as them yeah. as well, mm. which would be insane. Mm. Uh, that'd be a lot of fun. Cat, why don't we do exactly what the Americans did when they made that second pilot and just acknowledge that Danny John Jules will continue. He's unbroken. <laughs> okay. He will have that okay. character. That is him. Yep. With Lister, I would be interested. <laughs> I've just realised who I want to see play Lister. And it's just because I was thinking of him the other day, because I was out, um, I was out house hunting for a while, and I ran into this bloke in the street, and he, he, he's just a nice guy. He's, oh, where are you going? This guy's selling comic books down the road, which is a great beginning, you <laughs> yeah. know, to anything. Is even though okay, even though they're from different backgrounds, and I don't think, yeah, I think the character would end up being rewritten for some reason. Jamali Maddox would just have a great yes. feel as listed. Jamali would be yeah. fantastic. I love that. He, yeah, yeah, he'd be he'd be super good with Crichton. You, you know what? Why not? Why not? Give, give it to the man. I would I would recast Crichton as Robert Picardo. Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager. Oh my god. He he's the Doctor from Star Trek Voyager. He's Star Trek's hologram. He would be great as Crichton. He could he could he's, easily he's already quite rubber faced and, yes. and, and, and and yeah. Yeah. He could easily do Rimmer, but I would I would like to see him, you know, be Crichton. I don't want the man to have to play two holograms in his life. Right. Yeah, Which <laughs> if any if any really hardcore Star Trek people are listening, well actually John, he played several, you know, because of course obviously there's the episode where various, you know, my God. Right. Um and then Thank you for saying that though, that does save us a few emails. Oh so, good, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the episode where they're being exploited in the mines. Yes, yes, I've seen it. Yes, I know. Good. Right. Yes, the yes, the Zimmerman and yes, type holograms. Yes, I get it. And then for Holly, yeah. Tilda Swinton. Ah, oh, hells yeah. That's great. Tilda Swinton. Wow. Ethereal and menacing Holly is not a thing yeah. that we've had. But, yeah. but, but Holly is ethereal and menacing, especially in these first two series. Mm. The, the japes, the pranks, they yeah. are cruel. Yeah. And, and having an authoritative Holly might be quite... A different thing, yeah. Unless she's constantly passive aggressively like assuaging them, but she she isn't controlling their lives, even though she. Oh, those those are some hot picks, John. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the idea of seeing banter banter scenes between Jamali Maddox <laughs> and Lawrence Olivier. Ah, perfect. Yeah, that is audacious. It, it'd go it'd go on so well, especially since like at some point or another, you just have Jamali turn around going, "That a false nose? That a yeah. false nose again?" Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. I think Jamali makes a lot, a lot of sense. It was always the laid-backness of, of Lister that gives him his cool. That the, mm. the, you can be whoever you want to be, but just let me be whoever I want to be kind of yeah. attitude. That's Jamali all over, right? Like, yes. That's, that's, he's got that Listerness in him straight away. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, oh, 
Yes, yes, we can. That'd be great. Anyone who's seen the episode of his that documentary show that he did on Vice, where he met uh, the the far right (laughs) in America, I mean, that's just that guy can deal with aliens. (laughs) He'll be on screen, no problem. The way he handled himself in that was amazing. Yes, that's it. Hate thy neighbor. Yes, yeah. He's been a hero in real life, so he can definitely save some episodes of Red Dwarf. The John Robertson. There we go. Oh, nice. Don't steal my. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, not again. First Norman, love it. Now this. <laughs> Every time you say it, <laughs> an angel gets his wings. Oh, good. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Let's move on to Better Than Life, the episode. I'm going to throw to Fergus quickly to uh, give us a little praise to remind us of everything, all the key stuff that happens in this really, really simple and, and lacking an incident episode of Red Dwarf. So good luck, man. Thanks, John. Series two, episode two, Better Than Life. Lister is ill again, but this time it's not his hallucinations turning solid. The problem here is Rimmer's cooking. But Holly has some distracting news. After three million years, the post has finally caught up with them. Included amongst the amusing mail items is a video game. But before we get to that, there's a four-minute banter scene, and you guys know about my obsession with structure, Mm -hmm. between Lister and Rimmer. These scenes are never story important, but always the funniest bits of the show. In this one, Rimmer learns of the death of his father. Of course his father's dead. It's been three million years. (laughs) Nevertheless, we're up to the emotional observation deck with the emotional music to discuss Rimmer's dark family issues. And Cat interrupts the scene in a really cat way, mostly, it would seem, to leaven the mood and get us to the end of the scene. It's at the halfway point of this episode that we circle back to that video game and the story, such as it is, starts. It's a completely immersive virtual reality game where everything feels real and where you're given everything you desire. Rimmer meets Napoleon. Tony Hawk's rocks up to be a helpful host. They get themselves some sweet rides and and cool food and hot babes and all the id-based rewards lonely spacemen would go for first. We see, unfortunately, a post-coital rimmer whose behavior makes us glad he's only had sex twice in his life, frankly. (laughs) As the boys from the dwarf indulge all these base desires and their egos, it becomes clear the TV version of Better Than Life, where you're given what the game thinks you want by reading your subconscious, can be dangerous if your subconscious is a rancid cesspit of paranoia and self-loathing, such as is the case with our Arnold J. Rimmer. He says himself his brain won't accept nice things happening to him, so things get worse and worse, ultimately jeopardizing Lister and the cat's safety too. Rimmer accidentally wishes himself broke, then attacked by a tarantula, and then buried alive alongside Lister and Cat and Holly. Rimmer ruins the game completely. So they leave it. Game over. Or is it? Oh no, they're still in the game. But how would they know the difference? What an episode. This is the name of our podcast. This is the eponymous episode. It's a big one. 
And I think the key thing that it does is continue what we saw two episodes ago at the end of series one in Me Squared, the level of Rimmer's self-loathing yeah. and self-destruction. Yeah. And there's so much to talk about here, John, not least the fact that you've developed your own video game that has immersed a lot of people <laughs> over over its lifetime. So where to begin? Let's Let's start with that. Were you to play better than life, would you win or would you end up being buried alive with jam on your face? <laughs> I would have a pretty good time uh, with what's going down in um, Better Than Life just because I'm pretty good at going, I would like to have these things. Now, I'm not always necessarily aware of why I want mm. a particular thing or why a particular thing is good, but I'm very good at asking for the thing I want and accepting the thing that I've got when I've got it. There might be, as everyone does, a thing where you go, oh, I don't know, do I do I completely deserve to have this? Or, you know, oh, well, other things are happening in the world. Maybe this isn't as important or whatever. But if you do go, well, it's a video game. It's time for us to play a video game. And the video game's object of the exercise is to give you great pleasure. I will receive that great pleasure. I'd have a, a pretty good time. But a character as uh, deliberately uh, twisted and sad as obviously couldn't you don't actually see that many uh like of that era like british sitcom characters of such psychological complexity mm. blackadder is just a psychopath that's that's really all that is <laughs> you know it's just a man with a very shallow effect who feels he should be treated well and you know is happy to go with any any way of making that happen Whereas the next equivalent, because I think of Rimmer and Blackadder quite similarly, because mm. it's like, ah, oh, these unpleasant men with the funny lines <laughs> who are nevertheless great fun to watch. I think Rick, Rick Bale is in his sitcoms, The Young Ones and Bottom and Filthy mm. Rich and Cat Flap, Flap has that same thing. But I think, mm. I think we might have said this on the podcast already, but, but, but Blackadder and Rick don't understand why they don't get what they want, where Rimmer seems to know exactly why his life is bad yeah. and it's everyone else's fault, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. interesting to note that I know a lot more Rimmers than I do <laughs> the other two people. I know a lot of people who would love to be Blackadder but are just miserable, right? And I definitely went to uni with a few Ricks. I was Rick. You know? sure, sure, we were all Rick a bit, Yeah, right? but I know, I know a ton of rimmers people who are absolutely convinced that everything is bad he is exactly why they don't realize that's endlessly making it worse that you know it's this real fatalistic bull and yet it's you know just this whining but i did everything <laughs> but i did everything why didn't it happen but i did everything but it, yeah but you know they didn't do everything Ugh. as well i come back to ned flanders parents saying yeah we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas I love like, that. it's the same thing right they, he hasn't actually done anything to help himself no he, he's done he's done nothing whatsoever what makes it so brilliant in this episode i think is that he does try to get it right and it's working for him mm. for quite a while he conjures up that etope jag then Magruder's in there. That he's his, he's an admiral. Everyone loves his terrible anecdote. It's all going really well. The, the mm. pivotal moment for the story and for Rimmer's psyche seems to be the cat ruining his dad telling him he was proud of him. Mm. Is is it actually the cat that engenders the, the, the true mm. psych, the psychosis in Rimmer? Well, that makes um that makes a huge amount of sense because you think about Rimmer being you know like a critter that was relentlessly bullied by his entire family, then by the structure, then the one thing that he wants to do is do well in the space corps, and he can't do that. I think what happens is the moment there's any degree of external pressure on Rimmer, mm. he'll crumble. Yeah. And that's exactly what that is. Yeah. There is something to be said that neither Cat nor Lister are that bloke's friend at all. <laughs> yeah. no, really yeah. not. No. I think it's like a lack of originality as well. He doesn't like either of them, but they're still present in his fantasy. Like it makes sense they'd want to hang out with each yes. other, but why are they in his. Yeah. Why is he going to dinner with them? Yeah. And why does Cat use his time in the video game to do that to Rimmer? Mm. Like, surely there's better use. 
excuses. But no, that's an indulgence to him as well. Yes. Well, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. They've unconsciously become friends, or at least really used to each other. Yeah. There are beats mm. that they can get off each other. Like, of course, Rimmer would like to show off to them. Mm. You know, they're the other. You know, he's always doing that. Yeah. You know, it's always I'm I'm very good and important. Look. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point about the cat, though. Yeah, it's like he finishes his fish and then just goes, "What am I going to do now? <laughs> Go and annoy that guy." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's that cartoon that I saw the other day on Instagram where somebody had taken um, what I think was a Reddit post, which was, you know, like when a cat comes into a room, it means that an animal has missed you and, mm. you know, has wanted to come in and see what you're doing. Isn't that amazing? And then somebody's just drawn a cartoon of a cat walking to a room and thinking, I wonder what the two-legged cuck is up to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not that deep a disdain, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we know the earth isn't flat because cats would have just swiped everything off it by now. <laughs> it's crazy because Rimmer, Rimmer thinks cat is a moron. Like we know yeah. this, but his confidence that he's manifested is so tissue thin that all it takes is cat coming in and shoving his dad in there. What yeah. a horrible thing to do given the what the conversation they've had on the observation deck. Right. Cat is not feckless. Mm. He's he's agentic in this cruelty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just idle swatting at a spider and, and pl- or playing with a, a mouse. It's 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 cruel. Yeah. It's psychopathic. He's very mean mm. to Marilyn Monroe as well. Oh yes. I, I think that's a really good bit of writing though. I think Cat's subconscious doesn't want to have sex. He wants to be sexed out. <laughs> he wants to have had enough sex to be like, okay, time for a nap. Right. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting because I I always read that as it was coded as though Cat was gay. Oh, you know? interesting. Like, like that Cat was just like, oh, for, oh an, another one. And, oh, these women, I have no use or understanding for what this is. That's what I thought oh, was going I see. on there. But again, this is what I thought when I was 12. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking like... Is there something to be said that Cat's a queer-coded character? Maybe pansexual. I think yeah. he's, in the recasting, we've had that suggestion before to really lean into that aspect. Yeah, because I, I just mean, like, you know, between the, the beautiful outfits, you know, a, a sort of sensuous interest in things, not necessarily a sexual one, but, mm. you know, yeah. food and pleasure and of its time and being the only person who's actually well-groomed on the ship. I'm just sort of a bit like, oh, this is a pretty, pretty 1980s-style gay man. But the question would be, whatever the gender or species mm. of the sexually attractive thing he'd find, if that person ever, if, if he ever actually had the opportunity for sex, for some reason in my mind, yeah. the cat would not know what to do. Yes! At that moment, yeah. he'd freak out and go, uh, okay, yeah. I can I have sex now? I don't know what it is, really, and I don't know what it's for. Yeah. Is it like eating fish? <laughs> Which is the joke. Yeah, I mean, except in the novel of Backwards, because he gets his end away in that, and that's not a very pleasant joke. We need to we need to talk about the, the books a little bit anyway, because... Yeah. I, coming in to rewatch this episode, I had conflated the better than life of the books with the better than life in the TV show. So I was, I had already written in my praisey notes that better than life, the video game is extremely addictive. And that's Mm. not mentioned in the TV show at all. In my head, better than life is a dangerous game because you can play it forever. And the only way of leaving it is wanting to leave, but you'll never want to leave because it's a game that satisfies you in everything. In my mind going into this episode, I was like, it's 14 minutes in. They're still not at the video game. How are they going to fit all this addiction stuff in? <laughs> no, they don't. They just pull the headset off at the end. It's fine. Yeah, if, if it helps you, the same thing happened to me. Like, because I'd, I'd read the book as well mm. beforehand. And then when I was watching the episode, I'm very tense, mm. you know, hugely tense. Like, oh, God. <laughs> and then it was just a, a funny episode. And you go, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. The book mentions Better Than Life as being a dangerously addictive drug-style thing on, like, mm. page 20 of Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers before they even get on to, on board Red Dwarf. Mm. And I thought, that's a big part of this story. Clearly not. It does still 
just about work if you really think about it because clearly you would be okay with leaving if someone else had messed up your game so much that you were buried alive to be devoured by by ants so yeah they can they can imagine themselves out of it but still i'm sure rob grant and doug naylor would have been champing at the bit to add like a two minute addendum to the episode where they do get addicted to it and it's impossible to leave and it actually takes Rimmer's almost the hero of this thing taking them out of this in, in my head but anyway you had read the books yeah which which do you think is the more compelling thing in, ter- in terms of like we actually you know we're going to sit there with a story well of course it's what's in the book because there's just more room to move yeah. but that that's the answer with everything when I'd encountered Last Human first, because the first thing that happens is uh, Lister's placed in that prison world. Mm. That's what I thought Red Dwarf was when I first encountered it. There was right. room mm. for this degree of real emotional and physical suffering yeah. without a laugh track, without somebody gurning. I didn't go, oh, how amusing that Lister is walking along and all of the women in this uh, prison world look like Kachansky. I understood that that was sad, whereas in the show that would have been played for laughs. Yeah. You know, it would have been cutting over there. Oh, she's pregnant now. Oh, over here she's overweight. She's tall there now, but they've all got the same face. You'd hear that omnipresent <laughs> going on. Also, no, not going to lie, and I'm not saying that laugh tracks um, are bad or required, but my God, once you're trained on them, once it trains you on, like, that's a sense of communal joy, it makes all the difference when i try to watch things that don't have a laugh track but maybe used to like mash yeah. I don't, i'm like i lack the moral bravery to laugh on my own <laughs> this is terrible coming back to the fact you programmed a video game oh i i had some very smart people program a video i designed one you designed it okay that's yeah that's, that's huge the processing power on something like this. Let's let's ignore the interface that Rimmer uses and how that mm. works. Red Dwarf can only sustain one hologram at a time because of the processing power it takes. What's the processing power on an entire shared universe going to be like? Yeah, my God. Yeah, it must be colossal. But then as well, uh, yeah. You know, you know what? I honestly don't know. It's one of those great bits of science fiction technology, which is, that works. That absolutely yeah, works. Fine, I it? mean, you can ask the same question about, um, and I see that the Doctor can only exist in this one area of Voyager, even though we have a holodeck <laughs> over here. And they eventually figure it out right. with a mobile emitter, which is exactly the same thing they have in Red Dwarf. Yeah, that's know. a light bee, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think if, if it, as soon as they'd gone into Better Than Life, it had cut yeah. to an exterior shot of Red Dwarf and you'd just seen it like all the lights are off and it's just <laughs> careening and tumbling <laughs> through space. <laughs> if they kept the addiction thing going, that would have been a way of showing the danger of it. That would have been yeah, terrific. Yeah. All the lights are down, the scutters are clanging into things or, mm. or worse, like really slowly powering down so they look oh, sad. That's... Or Holly's face is breaking up and getting distorted. Stuff like that would have been a thing if they wanted to carry that through. That's great. Well, stuff. this is all really good for the movie. Let's yeah. let's do this. Oh, yeah, thing. terrific for the film. There's no laughs in this, but that's okay. We can dub them in. If 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 you want to write to Red Dwarf, you can find it. Its address is Red Dwarf Deep Space RE13 3DW. How does a postcode work? in a ship that is just <laughs> ploughing into space endlessly. It's probably not a question worth asking, John, to be honest. <laughs> it's but, the um, kind of question we always ask. But the postcode is the number 13, yeah. Yeah. breaking up the letters R-E-D-W. Red. Red, red Dwarf. 
<laughs> yeah. Red Dwarf. That's cute. That's funny. It's the, definitely the kind of thing you go, is that Grant or Naylor having a word with the props department or is that just the props department going, yeah, they need an address for this, so let's put it on it. It's a cute pastiche of how your UK postcodes work. Makes sense. Does it? I'd like to think that was just the props department going rogue and yeah. Grant and Naylor hadn't watched <laughs> the edit closely enough. They just mm. you know, were having a sip of tea or whatever. And then it was broadcast yeah. and they're both sitting there going, what the... F- how it makes no sense. Come on. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like they, you know, at least they didn't like put the production office on it or something. That that <laughs> sense of, true, oh, yeah. somewhere in Wales, incidentally. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. Or Reading or something, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Reading, perfect. Could be. As if there's a shop called Deep Space in Reading, they'll be getting a lot of fan emails. <laughs> it's a vape letters. store. I think I've been there. <laughs> no, it's, not, it's not fun. <laughs> Can we talk about some of the mail items? It's basically a flurry of world building. Hmm. But at the same time, it's the kind of world building that's actually just kind of off-the-cuff jokes. Like a Casablanca remake, which appears not to have been the first remake of the film. Friday the 13th, part 1463. And weirdly, I think this this episode came out before Friday the 13th had really taken, like got, got going. Like Freddy versus Jason, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, I think if you it... ever want to answer that university question, does satire change anything in the real world? That gag is proof that satire has no effect on the real world at all. It's the same gag as Back to the Future Part 2, where it's Jaws 19. Yes, exactly. But they have a video letter from Gordon. Ship's computer on the... Scott Fitzgerald. Mm. Are they trying to say something or are they just being silly here? The fact that it's not just Holly, whose AI has kind of been corrupted over over three million years, there is another computer that is very similar in tone and yes. is that just what we decide we want as out of AI when, when we get it to run our spaceships? Yeah, I, th- I thought that. Like I was like, oh, so Gordon was like that three million years ago, so this is not senility, it's not like a cognitive decline. And then I was trying to figure out why would they be like that? Is it because this is what happens when you go, what's the kind of doddery British version of Mother from Alien. It's, a, we, it's another Alien reference then in that case, which is interesting because we keep spotting those. It's subtler. It's not like a kind of in space no one can hear you cha-cha-cha, but it's an, yet another example of what a core text for them that was. The whole kind of corporation running the, the game from the background is, is a very Alien saga thing as well. Yeah. It's just little things for me. Like, if you can choose your own face, why is Gordon wearing glasses? <laughs> He's AI. He wants to look clever. Yeah, to look clever or to look reassuring in some way. He, he looks like a Gordon. Yes. That'll be Gordon over there. Good old Gordon. Got to tell us some stuff? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. He's just, ah, oh, good old, yeah, he's reliable, good. Yeah. And the voice is like that as well. Oh, I, well mate, yeah, like, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that machine's not going to send you to your death. Yes, no one's going to distrust yeah. it, yes. that guy, that's right? That's right. It, it's a that's bit of true. a bother, but if you could just go down to that planet there, oh, there's some things <laughs> down there, you know. Yeah. Oh, you trust that guy? Yeah, big time. Yeah, that's a great point. On the 27th of Geldof, a missing page <laughs> of the Bible was discovered. <laughs> dedicating the Bible. So casual. Mm. It's so flippant. Just just getting rid of all of Abrahamic religion <laughs> in one, with one gag. Yeah. Lovely stuff, right? It's great, you know. Like it. There, there we go. It's it's so quick. It's the only thing that has a real punch. Like for me, in what comes for the mail, right? You know the the John Wayne fan club. The other. This is just pop culture. These are just little pops. Yeah. That's just a nice one. That's just a really lovely. <laughs> well, what would what would the news be in the future? Uh, probably that things here are wrong. There we go. Great stuff. Rimmer's got some family issues and it feels for a moment like we could actually sympathise with him. Yes. 
do we? Well, you can see why he's like that. You know, like when, when I say that, like, I knew guys who were like this, certainly at school, the real bugger of it was, it was like, yes, we, we understand why you feel this way, but your method of expressing it is so yeah. irritating that we can't <laughs> help you. You won't allow yourself to be assisted in any way. Like, I, I believe him. I feel very sad for him. He's clearly shaken by it. Unfortunately, he's still going to exhibit the same behaviour as he always does. Yeah. He's still going to be the guy who runs up to Napoleon on the beach and goes, you're my favourite fascist. <laughs> you know? He's not a immediately redeemed just because he's incredibly sad. You got to be present for him as Lister is for a moment. But yeah, unfortunately there are other episodes of the series and that character is going to let you down reliably. <laughs> yep. Over and over. That's maybe that's it. Maybe that's exactly it. Maybe that's where the sem- sympathy is in the show that that mm. the world is against Lister as well, but Lister would mm. never call himself, he'd never describe himself as a victim. In fact, someone who says the two almost oppositional things, one everyone hates me and two why isn't the world my pony what they're doing is citing their own squandered potential Mm. yeah it's interesting until you said that I've never thought of Lister as a victim by any stretch because he is so positive and he's he likes the things that he likes as you say a free spirit I'll do my thing you do yours it's fine whereas Rimmer is what the alt-right is yeah Rimmer is an incel Rimmer is a (laughs) self-hating guy who went no but But I'm doing it. I've put on a tie. Why aren't I respected? I made up a salute. (laughs) That's true. Why hasn't that shot him to the top of the ziggurat lickety split? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Again, it's like me squared insofar as we only have like two or three scenes to understand Rimmer's arc yeah. through this episode. And yet nothing is left out. Nothing doesn't, it requires extra kind of sense making to understand it. And I loved this episode was it, uh, when I was a kid. And I don't know mm. why. I think it's, it's not childish. I think it's actually quite a grown up thing what Rimmer's doing to himself. It, John, how do you feel about, was, was there a way you interpreted the episode when you were a kid that, that is all different now? Uh, no, I mean, probably the main difference would have been that I I would have really felt for him right. because he was put upon. There were all of these things and you don't you don't understand until you're a bit older. I mean, some, some people figured this out faster than I did, but change has to come from within. <laughs> you know, that, that old hoary stereotype is actually correct. So with him, I could just see it as like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's relentlessly put upon. Christ. And then even this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. I, would have, I would have agreed with that because I had days that felt like that all of the time. A friend of mine knew I was doing this podcast and we watched the episode together. And I know that later it's like, I've got, to, I've got to pick a joke that I really like. The one that I really like is Lister with his head down the bowl, reading the scores to his dad, right? You know, to his, to his dead father. And my friend was making the point because my father had died when I was 10, right? And so they were like, oh, of course you like that joke. It was like, yeah, I liked that joke at the time too. There's no big subconscious mm. thing here. But look, looking at that, yeah, there's two guys, you know, you can see everything in their worldview, everything with how they respond to their moment of grief. Yeah, like Lister can't pro- can't really process it, doesn't really understand, continues his life in his happy-go-lucky way, and at some point, maybe the closest thing we see to him grieving is trying to reach out and say, "Look, I actually understand," yeah. you know, to Rimmer, which is such a rare thing. Whereas Rimmer has no capacity because everything's always a problem anyway. <laughs> You know, yeah, right. So, so this is just another thing that's happened that's terrible. Yeah. And so the dif- the difference was when I was a kid, it was this. Ha 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 ha. Ah, Rimmer is like the whiny boys I know at school. Also, sometimes <laughs> sure. a bit like me. Ha ha. Lister's got his head down the bowl. Ha ha. Death. And now that I'm a bit older, the difference is neither of you have grieved. <laughs> oh no, I'm. I'm sorry, John. That that brings it to Don't the dark. Don't be sorry. Place, isn't it? 
Well, no, no, no I think no, it's, no, no. It's, it's, if anything, to do with the show. I'm smiling very loudly over yeah. here, listeners. Please, <laughs> it's true. for we God's can see sake. It. We can see it. He is, this is jokes. Don't worry. This is yeah. this is light. In terms of the characters in the show, though, they maybe they can't grieve. Lister wouldn't and Rimmer couldn't. I think I think that's that's certainly true. Like, like for instance, okay, Rimmer being very excited that he's getting to bang Magruder, right? Mm. So that's the holographic de- representation of a dead woman. That's somebody that he liked. She's dead. That's pretty emotionally complicated. Mm. And his entire response is to do the floor. I know. Hand, yeah. hand gesture. That's, that's, that was that was ugly back in the eighties. But it's even. I mean, it's it's quite a tricky moment to watch now, isn't it? Yeah. Also, I, I can't quite remember. Kachansky doesn't show up, does she? No. Not in this episode, no. So, so there's Lister. Could could have anything subconsciously. She's not there. Yeah, blimey. Maybe it goes back to that thing he said back in Wait, uh, uh, Balance of Power, episode three of series one, where he said mm. it wouldn't be her. He wants her, mm. her brain, her personality, mm. not just a body, not a facsimile. Mm. So maybe it's actually him being mature again. But but at the same time, Lister, Lister and the cat seem to be playing golf. I cannot believe for a second that's on their list of once. That scene was actually cut in. It was initially, like the script said, on a beach in paradise, but they tried to film it on a beach in Wales and they couldn't make it look less grim and and rainy, so they had to change yes. it to a golf course. That's brilliant. Of course, it does look like a looks like real, doesn't it? Well, that's that's British science fiction once again getting let down by Britain. Just no. go to a quarry. Go to a quarry. It's well, that, fine. that's it. Doctor, we're on another planet. Is it? Really? <laughs> is it? Oh. Is it a different colour quarry? <laughs> it looks distressingly like last week's planet. Um... So if, if Wales had better weather, we'd have never found out how Cat likes to play golf. All in, apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throwing the clubs what? around. That's, That's pretty good. Great. And I love that Lister doesn't even bother trying to explain it. Like, cool, yeah, this is how we're doing the game, yeah. I guess. This is what you want to be doing with, with all of fantasy available to you. Yeah. It's just occurred to me. If Better Than Life is meant to be, it's reading your subconscious, it's reading your conscious mind as well, and it's your fantasy, right? Say you've got Listers walking around, right, and the cat is throwing the golf clubs. That might not be the cat. That might not really be the cat. That might be Listers version of a good time is hanging out with the cat and that's what he thinks the cat would be doing oh. Rimmer may have never actually been in the game they might just be going every time they run into Rimmer oh that's what we think he'd be doing by now he'd ruin this <laughs> he'd ruin this for us so actually when Lister at the end of the episode says you ruined the game yeah. what, he's, what he means is the version of you I have in my head ruined the game <laughs> yeah the three of them could have all just been in different things we could have just oh been watching gosh. one perspective mind blown there we go <laughs> All of my friends like professional wrestling and we all sit around trying to justify why things are happening. When, of course, in the answer, the, the answer in the end is, it's stupid, shut up, that's why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they need to make money, that's why it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because that guy jumped off a table and broke his ACL and now they've got to rewrite the whole show. Yeah, and now they have to bring in the other guy. No, there's no, there's no consistent character writing. Stop pretending there is. Talking of consistent writing, it is tradition here to mention how the iPlayer praises uh, an episode. Mm. They don't have long to to describe it, but here we go. If I read you the sentence, Rimmer and Lister find a computer game which plugs directly into the brain. (laughs) Would you know that that is a comedy I'm describing? (laughs) Or, I guess, sci-fi, sure. But that is the extent of it. What are they doing? Oh, wow. Do you know what? If you click on on the episode again, it it does give you a slightly longer thing. Rimmer and Lister find a computer game which plugs directly into the brain, allowing them to experience their fantasies. But not everyone 
can control their imagination ellipsis. So is that comedy that's being described? Are you in are you in for jokes and japes with that description? The second you've got the dot 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 close enough. <laughs> like that I mean, to to be fair I'm still picturing a horror film myself. I know, but but to be fair, that first description, you could do this. Neo and Morpheus find a computer game that plugs directly yeah. into the frame. <laughs> And the Matrix is hilarious, so there you go, yeah. <laughs> Where can people find you, John? Oh, you can find me at thejohnrobertson.com. My show, The Dark Room, and my stand-up are on tour through various countries throughout the world from uh, whenever this comes out. So just head on over to thejohnrobertson.com. I'll be streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Robotron. And, yeah, come see me live sometime. Awesome. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure. Oh, it's been amazing. Thanks, John. John Robertson, that was amazing. That was awesome. What a deal. And I can't think of anything we didn't really say about the episode. There's a couple of bits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the mermaid structure. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Talking about Cat's sexuality, we didn't really talk about the species that he's into. And he makes a full-on kind of Mm. lick your lips, tongue flick, sexy gesture at the idea of it being the right way round to have a a, a piscine torso and humanoid legs. Apparently the mermaid is a reference to an artwork. Oh, is it? It's a mermaid that way round as well. As a reference, collective invention is the name of it, but it's been described as a thinking man's mermaid. Ugh. What are they thinking? Yeah, no. What are they? <laughs> what on earth are they thinking about? There's nothing to. What are you going to chat with them about? In cat terms, it just sort of suggests that he's got a thing where he sort of conflates food and sex. There's got to be a name. There'll be a term for that, right? I don't know what it is, but he's obviously into food-related sexual. He's like Tom Cruise in Top Gun, the original. I th- think devouring something while you eat it is more of a insect thing than a, than a sexy thing. <laughs> than a cat thing. But I blame Grant Naylor for that. That's, I'm just hoofing up the seeds they planted. Well, it's a Freudian mess this episode anyway, it really isn't it, is, right? Yeah. When the three-wheeled car shows up before it becomes an E-type Jaguar and oh, Rimmer decides Ryan, to... Yeah. yeah, Reliant Robin. Do you know when the last one was actually built? I assume it's the one they used in Only Fools and Horses. No. That's the most famous one, right? The last one of those rolled off the production line in October 2002. They were still making them. But they couldn't go around corners without falling over. They were proper, properly posh, the last ones, apparently. What do you mean, posh? They're made out of gold. But yeah, they were de- they were decked out, because I think they were oh they God. were for people who wanted to buy one of those stupid three-wheel cars. So they were like, they would massively overspend. Terrible idea for a van. It was Economy Britain, wasn't it? That's probably where we're heading back to. It was like an oil crisis car, I think, essentially. It was like, okay, how could we, how could we make a car but not have to make all of one? <laughs> save money. Do you know what? I think this whole decrepit British thing runs through the comedy of Red Dwarf quite a, yeah. in a significant yeah. way, right? This episode. For sure. No one's surprised that the game ruins is can be ruined. No. Let's just like, ah, oh, you ruined that. And the implication in you ruined that is like you ruin everything, Rimmer. Yeah. But like, they don't go back to it. They're like, well, that's finished with. Oh, well, it's knackered. They could just not tell Rimmer they're going to go and play it. It's true. They're clearly not standing on ceremony or being polite to him. That's true. I mean, it's by modern standards, it's not all that luxurious, is it, either? But then I suppose it's what they're conjuring as, as luxury, like the, the leopard skin water bed in the shape of a guitar. That's... Doesn't that stuff go back to something you and John were talking about right at the beginning of the whole episode, the podcast, which was that the budget of our imagination is, mm. is infinite compared to the TV shows? Yeah. And the budget in yeah. the inverted commas of the books and the imagery you get from the books and all that stuff. Like, Better Than Life 
if left to your imagination, would be huge and sprawling and palatial. And, yeah. and what we have in the TV show is an intimation to that. I think we're supposed to understand as viewers, this isn't the limit of it. We're being shown what can be afforded. Yes, exactly, yeah. A two-tier restaurant yeah. and a golf course in real. It's so interesting, that, isn't it? It's like the, the advantage of TV over theatre for the audience should be that you don't have to suspend your disbelief. But, <laughs> but British BBC yeah. audiences of the 70s and 80s just basically yeah. ported that ability across any time they watched anything with any ambition at all because you had to in your own mind join the dots between Rill and the Caribbean yes. and just go yeah I, I will accept this honestly don't know how much of a tradition it was in other countries but radio drama and comedy was huge in this country and mm-hmm. on the BBC for a couple of decades it was as important as TV comedy right and it was still in the 90s late 90s even early 2000s that was still the route yeah. to yeah. TV comedy was via radio comedy yeah. something like Red Dwarf is only not to decry all the amazing props work and editing and, and, and direction and, and, and even some of the effects and model work, obviously. But it's only a small step up from radio. It did have its roots in a radio thing, didn't it? That they'd written Grant Naylor. Like it was it was called something like Dave Hollister or something, Space yeah, Cadet. That's it. I don't think it was Hollister, but it was it was something like that. It wasn't it wasn't Lister anyway. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> they must have been over the moon when they got the chance to go TV and and then realised as they were handing the scripts in, just going, Yeah, on radio maybe. But yeah, exactly right. Paul Jackson reading this this script going, so guys, a video game where it's virtual reality and you can have anything you want. You understand that <laughs> there's going to be a discrepancy between what you're writing and imagining yeah. and what we can actually do. Yeah. You Quite definitely cannot have whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I, is it testament to the writing, the way the show is put together or, or the force of our imaginations that I don't miss anything? No. Yeah. I feel there's gaps in this episode, in the story or in the, in the presentation of it. It's a great episode. I think it's really, really good. Like, it opens, you've got really fun. The writing in that first scene, there are so many good lines in there. Proper dumplings should not bounce. Mm. How's the cat? He's just sleeping off the stomach pump. Everybody thought the lamb was the cheese. Like, it's just, it's, they don't describe actually what happens, but you know everything. You can picture it so vividly. The amazing line, that's your excuse for everything, isn't it? Being dead. I mean, it's just great. I know. What? How does Rimmer not react to that? How does Rimmer not turn around at that point and go, yeah, actually? <laughs> it be well within Rimmer's, maybe it was filmed and cut, but I can't imagine Rimmer not going, yes, actually, I think that's valid. How How was he cooking? Well, not, He's not only dead, but you can't touch things. And I actually really appreciate Rimmer's reason for doing it. He just wants a semblance of humanity. He wants a semblance of mundane being aliveness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cooking is that. But if that's the case, you know, house cooks don't wear chef's hats and, and bandanas. They don't need to dress. Like, he's just a morass, isn't he, of contradictions. and, and He loves dressing for the part. He does, doesn't he? He loves the feel of being an admiral. He loves his, wherever they are, tan, leather, string, back, driving gloves and and driving goggles and driving scarf and driving jacket. Like, of course. And and you do wonder if that's model zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. Like, he loves dressing for the part, but he, he doesn't actually want to put the work in, which is why he feels entitled that just because he's done the exam, he should have just passed it. He hasn't actually worked at doing the exam well, but he's turned up and he's sat down and he's written some stuff. So he should have got the promotion, which is why he's a he's a, an admiral uh, in his letters home. It's just it's just so rimmer. <laughs> just going right. I've put put on the right clothes, so I should be whatever this is that I've dressed as. I think that's another connection between Rimmer and Laurence Olivier, right? That's how Laurence <laughs> Olivier did it, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He started with the costume and worked in. Uh, oh, I'll tell you what, something else in this episode. I really like that Outland Revenue line when he gets the letter. 
mm-hmm. and says just because we're three million years into deep space and the human species is extinct, <laughs> that means nothing to these people. They'll find us. <laughs> that means nothing to these people. It's great. It's, do you know what? It's, it's, a, it's double great, that, because it's a great joke. But again, Chris Barry performs it in such a legit, like, yeah. honest, straight way. Yeah. Absolutely. He's genuinely scared. Yeah, yeah. And rightly so, the end of the episode tells us. Indeed, he, yeah. They can even get to you in a, in a video game. Yeah. I love that false finish coming out of the game and then they're still in the game. It's so cool. <laughs> Rimmer getting his hands smashed. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's fine as an ending for the show as well, right? They add in a little crunch sound effect as well, yeah. don't they? Just on the freeze frame moment. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's nasty. What a great gag. Is this uh, is this game over for our Total Emotion podcast for this week? I think it is. I think it is. Who's coming up next time? Wait, I just need to pull out the electrodes to check. <laughs> <gasps> oh my gosh, it's Thanks for the Memory with Gemma Arrowsmith. What a guest. What an episode that's going to be. It is going to be unmissable. Do what you need to hear that episode. Subscribe. It's easy. And wh- while you're at it, leave us a positive review. Nice little five stars. And if you want to ask questions... Drop us an email, mm. betterthanlifepod at gmail.com. Do it. And if you can't subscribe for some weird reason, but you do happen to be playing the Better Than Life, just imagine the episode, it'll come to you. Yes, and it'll be, it'll be better than you could possibly imagine. And if it's not, it'll be your fault. <laughs> See you there. See you there. Cheers. Bye. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.